Hi everyone, we hope you are keeping safe and well. My name is Sofia and you are listening to the Art of Courage Ukraine podcast. Today I was given an opportunity to speak to Lyudmila, a past Mariupol resident who has relocated to Australia before the beginning of the full-scale invasion. Lyudmila describes the journeys of her friends and relatives who were still in Mariupol when the war began. You know, when I only thought about this, my heart already began to tremble, because those were horrifying times. Absolutely horrifying. We worried, as you said, Ukrainians in the whole world, and us as well. It wasn't the misfortune of only Mariupol residents, or Lviv residents, or Ukraine. It was our collective misfortune. We didn't sleep, we didn't eat, we were always in front of the TV or on social media. The whole time we were trying to find something, some information. If I speak from the beginning, then actually I came here before the war. I was making a visa before the lockdown. I was here and then I left to go home. And then I wanted to visit my daughter again, so I was making a visa. So I was planning to come here sometime in March, but the war was already approaching Ukraine. We were seeing that Russian troops are gathering next to our border. The councils are being recalled and my daughter was telling me to hurry. And on the 9th of February, I was already here in Australia. But mine were left behind. My husband, my son with his family, and my ex-husband stayed too. So no one thought it was going to be something serious. In 2014, Mariupol was also bombed. But it sort of just passed. They bombed really far away suburbs. But on the 25th, the war started on the 24th. But on the 25th, we received a notice that the buildings were fully bombed in the eastern suburb. So this eastern one is the closest to Russia. And so it became worrying. It became worrying and I started to say how we should start moving. We need to start doing something. But mine were like, no, no, we will stay here. It's still quiet where we are. We were told by our mayor and such that they were controlling the situation. Remain calm. No need for any rash actions. So they remained. They remained and then later when everything became very serious, very serious, we could see on TV what was happening. And at that point, our side was announcing trouble, said that it's time to move out. But, you know, they just remained. And suddenly there was no light, no mobile connection, no water, no gas, nothing. But bombs, fires, shootings, and people began to hide in the basements. And mine did as well. My family was also in the basement. Um, What they went through, they don't even tell us anything. But we all also felt it. We saw it. We saw the pictures. And you know, they were showing Mariupol for a very long time, everywhere. We received messages from the whole world. They know that I'm in Mariupol. How are you? How's your family? Where are you? I tell them that I'm I'm not in Mariupol, but my family was left there. And everyone, everyone, everyone was saying, what can we do? This touched not only Ukraine, not only Mariupol, but everywhere. People whom I studied with, and even from Russia, Even from that same Russia, some adequate people also called. From Latvia, from America, so many. I can't even count how many. From Europe as well. They said, get to the border and we will get you out of here. But we didn't have any opportunities to take our family out. So this whole time, well, we didn't have any connection with the family. My daughter, she was messaging her classmates and was helping some relatives. Someone appeared. Someone managed to leave. She helped them. And then her classmates, they were participating in that driving to evacuate people, but they weren't able to because there were soldiers on the outskirts of the city and this group of buses got stuck. 
and we're not sleeping. And also considering that it's daytime there, but night for us. And we started to lose track of time. Only in about three weeks time, my husband contacted us. He suddenly left Mariupol because the neighbors were leaving and he came down and they said to him, get in the car faster. And he says, how would I? And they say, come on, faster, get a seat. So he went up to our apartment, grabbed his rucksack, just like a small emergency bag, not a suitcase, a rucksack it was, and he joined them. They drove away and he wanted to grab his money um, because he had a stack just in a little packet next to it was my photograph. And he was so nervous and hurrying that instead of the money, he took my photo. <laughs> Later he said, at least I saved your photo. <laughs> But they drove away. They were driving by a very specific route. They didn't know the trajectory, but, you know, they drove on the road as everyone did and they stumbled upon tanks, so they needed to change their route. So when he called me and told me where they were, I said that they are driving in a complete opposite direction. But he says, we just can't go anywhere because there's a blockade on it. on this road. The other road is full of soldiers. Missiles are already falling So they were just driving around trying to find their way. It was a very long road, but then they finally made it. They made it to Vinitsa. With adventures, but he made it to his relatives. My daughter and I could finally breathe a little. Later, after some time, my son contacted us as well. They were sitting in their basement, couldn't get out because the bombing wouldn't stop. Our relatives came for them between the bombings. They managed to get into this area and that was being attacked and picked them up. During this time, my son has begun suffering from severe back pain. We didn't know what happened because beforehand he was very healthy. He's actually a captain and is quite a built guy. I think that he would have even volunteered to go into city defense or someplace, but this pain just suddenly happened. So they were driving out and when they came to Zakarpatia, this is a little hard for me to say, but when they arrived to Zakarpatia, it wasn't only his back that was hurting anymore but he began to lose sensation in his legs. They went to the doctor and did an MRI and they found a tumor on his back. So all of this from stress, or maybe he injured himself in the past and didn't tell us, but we don't know. Um, they performed an operation. He's currently going through chemotherapy, but he's in this state. And all this time, my daughter and I were also looking for doctors and places for them to stop at. The situation is only really specific to our family. We also tried to find contact with our colleagues, our friends and neighbors. My daughter even read some information about the actors from our theater. As you know, our theater was bombed and a lot of people passed away. My daughter Victoria was helping the young actors to create a fund for collecting money. Well, it was a GoFundMe because they were young and everyone left to different cities and there was no work, so it was very hard. Later, I heard that my colleague Victor Dedov passed away. Victoria was speaking on the radio about what's happening here in, in Geelong and they interviewed me as well. But when they came and we gathered, the journalist was with a photographer. So he came and started setting up his equipment, lights, camera. But after that click of the photograph being captured, I suddenly remembered all the times that I was working with this colleague of mine and how we always held shoots together. I worked in television. I just watched this photographer setting up and suddenly all the memories started flooding back in. The same setup as I used to have. So as soon as the camera sounded, I just started crying, knowing that my friend, the operator, passed away. 
He was a brilliant artist. His work were even displayed in Washington. But only after he passed, his wife and kids met with Zelensky as well. So it was a very big loss. He was a master of his craft. And also, if we're remembering my colleagues, my friend, who also worked in television, was serving in Azov, and she created content about it. Her lover was serving there also, and they got married there. And after three days, he passed, but she is currently in captivity in Olenivka, where they bombed recently, as you know. We don't know how she is doing, but we're all very worried. I just hope she lives. She's just a petite, beautiful woman, and you know she's on the photos? You know the photos they took of Azovstal that traveled the whole world through social media? There were troopers and she's just sitting next to a fire in a helmet, in a uniform. A very beautiful picture. Very beautiful. Maybe it will be familiar to someone. I even saw recently that one of our operators who's currently in London was standing at a protest with her photo. All of this is not only a tragedy of Mariupol people. At the moment it's a tragedy of the whole world. And it's just such an example of unity for one, but also caution that this is a reality that can happen not only in Ukraine, but in other countries as well, if we let Russia do as it pleases and indulge in such horrible things. It's difficult. It's stressful. Every message that comes from Ukraine is not simply a piece of news. It touches your soul. We're already working on ourselves because we can't be in this state for long. We have to continue to live. For myself, I have made the conclusion that my life has reset to zero. I need to begin everything again here in Australia. Improving my English, looking for a job, help those who are still in Ukraine. Maybe at some stage we could even bring some of our family here. And life continues, um, but I think Ukraine will win. We all hope so.